This podcast is presented by Pacific Office Automation, proud partner of the Arizona Cardinals. Learn more at PacificOffice.com. J.J. Watt in the backfield. J.J. Watt, baby. Connor to the 10, to the 5, and into the end zone for the touchdown. Welcome to Cardinals Underground, presented by Pacific Office Automation. Visit PacificOffice.com. Problem solved. Touchdown, Tyler Murray. That defender is in multiple pieces. Oh, that was nasty right there, right? The latest news and notes from the insiders who cover the team. Drilled by Simmons. Isaiah Simmons is balling. Bring it on, bring it on. Slammed to the ground by Buda Baker. Like a torpedo, he came flying into the backfield. I ain't scared of nobody. Here's Paul Calvisi. So I think it was about 15 years worth or so. I did this segment, Danny. It was titled... Paul's call. And the premise of it was, the premise was, love it or hate it, uh, was that reality is the best comedy. Because a lot of it wasn't sports. It was just the absurdities of life. But it was always fact. These were always real stories and real happenings. It was good radio, I have to say. It was real sound bites, And you know how loath I am to praise Paul. So as I scan the landscape here as of this recording of cardinals underground brought to you by pacific office automation paul calvici danner's darren urban over there i mean if the browns did you see this can replace the helmet in midfield with brownie the elf <laughs> really and by the way those who say it, it, it's a dead ringer for the keebler elf uh you are right on there's no doubt about that you think that if nathaniel hackett can send russell wilson to the sideline on fourth and five and basically get all of Twitter to agree on one thing, which rarely happens, that you just paid him all that money and you traded away all those picks and players and you sent in a kicker who's now one for eight and 60-plus yard field goal attempts in his career, if that can happen. And speaking of kickers, if the Chiefs can send out safety Justin Reed to kick an extra point and then blast a kickoff through the uprights, then you know what? You're darn tuned we can do this edition of Cardinals Underground over here. Can we not, Danny? I guess we have no choice, Paul. <laughs> You're not in a great mood, I'm not, are you? I'm not sure how that exactly paralleled there, if those no. things happen. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure we would have done Cardinals Underground this week, even yeah. if all those things had not happened. So but. it's good. Right out of the gates, uh, Darren's dissenting, as usual, uh, living up to his scouting report. And then, uh, but Danny, Danny, you're defying the scouting report. Usually, you know, I mean, I, I feed off your positivity, but not today. I'm sorry, Paul. It's not personal. <laughs> I don't recommend moving apartments uh right when the season is starting Mm. so my Mm. frustrations do not have to do with either of you which i know is rare darren (laughs) but uh yes when we all sat down i I did unfortunately take a little bit of my frustration out on on you guys i'm there's a chance i'm gonna go at least a week they were trying to get me two weeks without having any internet in my new apartment which delays a lot of things so but you know what? I'm going to yeah. focus on the here and now, Paul. So not well, worried about my lack of internet. We're going to talk about Cardinals football. Yeah. We're all learning. Another day, another lesson learned. You know, there's two things you really shouldn't do when the season commences. One, um, change apartments. Two, start documentaries from scratch. All right, so the Cardinals fall to the Chiefs in week one, 44-21. And uh, their sixth straight home loss. First uh, regular season opener loss for Cliff and or Kyler. Uh, Darren Urban, where would you like to start here as we uh, commence with week two of the regular season? Where would I like to start? Where would you like to start? How about 
back uh, Saturday night and just redo the whole thing. We can just start right there, start over. You know that was a question because we're we're all <laughs> That's searching. Where we want to start. We're, we're all searching for questions in the post game locker room. Believe me, after a game like that, and one of my questions was, do you take the film, the proverbial game film, and throw it in the trash can, or do you watch every aspect of it? Do you hit the reset button? Do you actually study it and? Uh, Dennis Gardeck was very much of the opinion, you know, we need to watch every moment of this game film. And Cliff Kingsbury said, yeah, we're not throwing it out. We're, we're going to learn from it. There's a lot to be learned from this game film. So, although, honestly, and yes, there's some X's and O's that need to be improved, but unless you're going to get the requisite energy, intensity, and urgency, then guess what? Week two can easily look like week one. If you don't ratchet up the want to, because to me, you can count on one hand how many guys really brought it in that game. And I mean really brought it. Gardeck, Eno Benjamin, Zach Allen, and Buda Baker. Those are three guys you probably throw in Jalen Thompson and James Conner. But I, there's not that many where you can look at it and say, you know what, they gave 100-plus percent effort throughout the entirety of that game. No Greg Dortch? Greg Dortch, sure. You can throw Greg Dortch in there. Absolutely. I guess what I'm saying is that I'm not going to really render a judgment. Yeah, we're going to have a lot to say in this edition. And there's going to be there's going to be criticism, constructive and otherwise. But I'm not rendering a judgment now until we see the outcome of week 2. Because what I think is what happened to the Cardinals in this game is exactly what the Cardinals did to the Titans in week 1 of last year. That the Titans went, "Wait a minute. <laughs> uh, I think we forgot what regular season football is all about." And and they got and they got ear hold in that entire game and I, that's kind of what it felt like on the sideline. What the Chiefs came in and did to the Cardinals. And you have to look at it that way. At least looking at the defense of how many of those mistakes were self imposed and how much of this was just Patrick Mahomes being Patrick Mahomes and creating something out of nothing and elevating his receivers. The only thing that even though you know when I think about that is sure. There, there aren't many Patrick Mahomeses in this league, but the Cardinals still have a very difficult schedule ahead of them. So even though you're not going to be playing other quarterbacks like Patrick Mahomes, you're still going to be playing very good teams. And Derek Carr is very different than Patrick Mahomes, but when you look at the top receiver and the top tight end for Kansas City, Juju Smith-Schuster and Travis Kelsey put up 200 receiving yards. So then when you move on to Vegas and you look at their top tight end, their top receiver, Devontae Adams, Darren Waller, they put up all but 75 of the 295 receiving yards in week one. Mm. So it's still going to be a difficult task ahead. And I think some of the problems that Kansas City gave the Cardinals, very likely that Vegas could give Arizona this week. No doubt. I mean, especially when it comes to the pass rush. Let me see if I can find this tweet here on the fly. Uh, this was sent out by NFL on CBS. Five players in week one of NFL action had five or more hurries. Three of them were Kansas City Chiefs defenders. Chris Jones, Michael Dana, or Dana, George Karloftis, and then the other guy who had five was Max Crosby of the Raiders. And so you have Max Crosby plus what will be a very motivated Chandler Jones. I fully expect to see the same Chandler we saw in week one at Tennessee a year ago. That's how amped up he's going to be. He's going against an injured Taylor Lewan. (laughs) No, the good news is, and I do mean this, the good news is the Cardinals have a left tackle who knows him very, very well, better than anyone. And who's healthy. And is healthy, DJ Humphreys. I'm just saying that that sort of effort, 
that quite honestly, we saw in week one from Chandler Jones, and I'm not sure I saw the rest of the year just in terms of terms of how amped up he really was at Nashville. But to Danny's point, yeah. There, look, if there's one guarantee in the NFL, you're going to see it until you beat it on both sides of the ball. They're going to get that same shell coverage that Kansas City went with, and they're going to challenge the Cardinals to hit them deep, you know, challenge the Cardinals to mount a run game. But if the offensive line issues, at least on the offensive side, citing all those hurries by the Chiefs and what a game wrecker Chris Jones really was and the inability to get a, a true ground game going, even though Cliff Kingsbury stuck with it most of the first half, to, to his credit, Kyla Murray on a handful of carries was still your leading rusher. So these these are all these are all definite problems. But once again, until I see them address the energy, intensity, and urgency, I don't think you can get a true read as to what the talent level of this team is all about. I guess that if you want to go converse to that, Darren, uh, the question becomes: Why has this been a problem now for seven games worth? Six, at least six of the last seven games. Yeah. They've been on the losing end, and I think every one of those losses, we could cite, man, they just looked a little bit lackluster. But then I, I feel right, like Carolina, I, I Detroit. feel that's a little chicken or the egg a okay. little bit. Like, okay, is it is it because they are lackluster that they're losing, or is it when they lose, the first thing we think is they're lackluster, they're not bringing the energy? I mean, isn't there, there – there's a certain amount of – I mean, yeah, you can lose some games where – I guess you're playing at a high intensity and it's just this super awesome game. But, like, I think of some of their close games last year. Like, would you say the Packers game on that Thursday night, they were full of energy that night? I don't think they really were, were they? And it was a close game. Yep. Um, Packers were missing a bunch of people, and I would think you'd probably come out of it saying, eh, they, they just weren't – they didn't have the energy, and if they had, they would have beaten up a, 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 a less-than-healthy Packers team. Um, and then all the other loss. So I sometimes I wonder about that. I sometimes I wonder like, okay, you're just automatically if you lose, you're probably you, there's lack. I mean, I look at the Broncos uh, against the Seahawks. I mean, w- what came out of that game to me? The Broncos looked like, oh, we're going to roll over this team, and then they weren't ready to, and they got a loss that they shouldn't have. Or the 49ers. I guess the difference in this one to me, at least, would be that the head coach cited it. That the head coach said, quote we got to get better in a hurry. We have to have that sense of urgency in everything we do that we've heard it from the head coach. We've heard it from some of the team leaders. I heard it from Dennis Gardeck in the post-game radio. We need to let this sting. We need to sit on this for a while as a motivator. Um, I guess that's the difference, Danny, is, is it's, it's right there. It's in print and on the record. I think, too, is can this team find a way to have that edge find that motivation when they are down now given this game kind of you know Zach Ertz even mentioned it in the locker room post game you know when when they knew that there was no coming back late in the game and he was out there on a pitch count but wanted to stay out there and, and get those reps with Kyler Murray but my point being is can this team when they are down this season find a way to stay in it mentally and come back and win games that that to me is what you have to look at this and and see where you know at what point once the game was lost, like up until that point on the sideline, on the field, like was everybody still in it mentally, believing in them, believing that they still had a chance to come back? Because I think that's what something you can take away from this loss was seeing when they were still in it mentally, are they believing in themselves and what they're capable of doing? 
maybe. I, I, I guess I, I kind of go back and forth. It, it's, it's, I mean, defensively, was it a lack of effort that got them in those positions? I mean, is that what it was? I mean, if this so, if this team works really hard, they're they're much better defensively than we think they are. I don't I don't know if I see that. I I could be wrong. I hope I'm wrong. But with especially with the personnel that they have right now, and Isaiah Simmons struggled. Um, I thought it was interesting. Uh, Nick Vigil uh, talked to the media this week, and I asked him about Collins and Simmons, and he was quick to talk about how he thought actually Zayvon Collins played pretty well. And he kind of yeah, he said decisive, aggressive. That's what he said about Zayvon Collins. Trailed off a little bit off on Isaiah. He so, did. Yeah. I mean, I, I just well, if there's I, communi- I see what you guys are saying, and and to me, that's that's a very optimistic view of it, and that's good because that is very controllable. If if, if it's just a question of working harder and and having uh, having the passion and 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 being mentally into it, if that's what it is, then you're in really good shape. But I. I just I don't know if that's what the answer is. Well, and let me clarify a little bit. Number one, I, I'm not saying that all these issues that we saw that they're all remedied by increased effort and intensity. You know, that try hard guy is going to result. No, I'm not saying that necessarily. I'm saying I'm waiting to to render a final judgment until at least week two as to what oh, we're seeing. Yes, that, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know, because. Yeah. I mean, the NFL is littered with false positives after week one. Look at last year. The two well, number one seeds in each conference got blown out in this, week one. If this game happened in week nine and they had been, whatever, five and four or five and three or whatever it would have been, four and four, and this happened, I mean, there would have been, everybody would be mad, but it wouldn't have the same because it's in the middle of the season. For example, Cliff Kingsbury, just to you know, sort of elaborate a little bit on the urgency, intensity, energy thing on the tv side he told us that you need to treat every practice rep like a game rep and maybe that wasn't necessarily the case that guys who said during practice leading into the kansas city game guys who said you know what i'll make that play in the game no no no, no. now it's a matter of the coaches need to see it they need to see it they they're wanting you to bring it effective immediately so you know maybe there was some grace given to some of the players getting ready for this Kansas City game that will no longer be allowed by the coaching staff, by the team leaders. That's just me surmising, reading between the lines. Um, I will say that there are serious concerns when Nick Vigil cites communication issues because, let's face it, you know the Cardinals and, and, and Kyle Vandenbosch talked about this after the game. He talked about this in the Red Sea report. You know There were problems lining up. Kansas City's in motion, their shifts, and... Guys didn't look exactly certain where to be. So if you don't know where to be and how to play it, how to fit an offensive scheme, a personnel group, well, there's no way you're going to stop it, especially when Patrick Mahomes is pulling the trigger. That's just not going to happen. So now with Derek Carr, who didn't play that well in the week one loss against the L.A. Chargers, three picks, he had two strip sacks, he felt like he held on to the ball too long at times. Felt like he stared down Devontae Adams too often. 17 targets to Devontae Adams, even though he had 10 grabs for a buck 41. You know, Derek Carr is going to come out ultra motivated. There's some sort of stat where the Raiders in their team history have never made the playoffs after starting 0 2. So you're going to get the Raiders' best effort. You know, Josh McDaniels, uh, there were a lot of aspects about that game where, you know, those were a first in his coaching career, either as a coordinator or a head coach. So. 
What is the biggest concern, Danny? I mean, let's just narrow it down because, yeah, there's a lot of options. We could go multiple choice here on legitimate concerns after that blowout loss, that lopsided loss to Kansas City. Hmm, where should I pick? <laughs> you know, when you're looking at both sides of the ball, I think we can agree that the defense struggled more than the offense. But the offense wasn't great. They they didn't have any rhythm. And I don't like the excuse of it being you didn't have DeAndre Hopkins. You also didn't have Rondell Moore and you didn't have Antoine Wesley. But you know what? With the exception of Rondell Moore for a couple of days, you've known you weren't going to have that height in Wesley and D-Hop. And the fact that it was really the Greg Dort show, I still think Hollywood Brown and Kyler Murray are going, I don't know if it's a chemistry thing, we did not see that spark that we were expecting and told we were going to see between the two of them. I mean, he had a, you know he had a touchdown, but they're just it, it didn't. There was no rhythm, and they, they couldn't capitalize on their opportunities. You mentioned it, Paul, the fact that Kyler Murray was your leading rusher, and I just don't like the excuse of whether you're saying, oh, well, they had the offensive line change, Justin Pugh out with the next stinger and backup left guard Cody Ford on IR, so you had to put Sean Harlow in, like. That's not an excuse to me. That's one player on your offensive line, and you have that versatility, and they practice with that. And and I just – the offense should have been more cohesive and more in sync, and they just weren't. By the way, it's interesting you mentioned Dorch leading the team in targets and receiving. Drew Stan on the Red Sea Report said it was alarming, quote-unquote, alarming that Dorch led the Cardinals' offense with nine targets. So – that was a symptom of things have, of that lack of rhythm, I, I would believe, I would surmise, based on that. You know, the other thing was when Cliff Kingsbury was asked right after the game, what do you address first this coming week? And he cited practice habits. So, you know, is that coach speak? But we've just never heard him cite that before, Darren. It's the only reason why it, yeah. it's, it's somewhat significant and meaningful to me. Obviously, coaches speak through the media all the time. That's probably him trying to reinforce a message that – you know what, what you're doing on the practice field really does translate or carry over onto game day. So I guess my question is, is how long has this been going on? It was just last week? Because I don't, he never, nothing was brought up during training camp. Is it a byproduct of what, yeah, what was it? He actually said the Friday practice was one of the best practices they had had. So I don't know. Well, what does that mean? You're, you know, working on the practice. Like, I wonder what, what that entails, like what details. See, I, I got to be honest, there is a part of me that I don't, I think, and I'm guessing, and I'm speculating, and I want to put that out there very clearly, but um, my thought process would be that um, this is much beyond practice, that when he brings up practice, I think he's um, targeting a handful of players or less. And, I, and let me just also make this clear because I heard this speculated about on some radio. I don't think he's talking about the quarterback. And I just wonder if, um, you know, maybe, maybe that's where some of it's coming. Because I just don't... I, I, Do you think practice is a euphemism for focus? Maybe. But again, I, here, here's how I kind of look at it. Between injuries and veteran rest days... You, you have put health over focus in a lot of ways in terms of how training camp has gone. That's my opinion. Yeah. Health over being regular season ready. 
that's that's how I would see it. And I'm not saying you necessarily have to play preseason games. I would have played. I will say this: there are some guys I definitely be like, okay, I don't, I don't think you need to be in the preseason. I'm okay with Kyler not playing the preseason, given how easily he can get hurt. I'm okay with not doing a lot of the uh, the the extended veterans. But like, I don't. I don't understand, like for instance, why Isaiah Simmons doesn't play in the preseason if Zayvon Collins and Marco Wilson are. I don't. I that part. Rondale I didn't Moore. Get. Rondale Moore is another good example. Like, why wouldn't Rondale Moore play in the preseason? Those kinds of things. Well, I tweeted out the comment from Nick Vigil where he say he cited you know our first reps together as a group in the Kansas City game. Yeah. And a lot of fans are all over that. Well, wait a minute. Isn't there something called the preseason? There were three preseason games where you could have gotten reps together well, as a group in a game situation. Even Cliff said Monday was I think it was like it was like it was our first preseason game, and yeah. when you don't play a preseason game, okay, that this just in: the Arizona Cardinals did have four preseason games after all. <laughs> The final preseason opponent turned out to be the Kansas City Chiefs. Well, I mean, so, I don't hey, you know. Look, I, so once again, we'll find out against the Raiders. Okay, uh, if you're going to improve the focus and all these other correctable, tangible things, then okay, we'll see what the team looks like. But once again, are all these communication issues that Nick Vigil cited and others have cited on the defensive side of the ball, are they all resolved? With Is that a byproduct of just having young inside linebackers, of having yeah, a young player with the green dot who got no reps? Is that a byproduct of a, of a Zayvon Collins who, when it comes to getting the defense in the front seven in particular, are lined up and getting it fit based on personnel schemes and motions and other crazy stuff that Andy Reid was doing? To a certain degree, those two players are learning on the job. Well, I, I, and I will say this. I will at least give everybody involved credit in this regard which is nobody's out there already like getting huffy about people criticizing them now it was a blowout it was going to be tough but like we've seen a couple of coaches Robert Saleh talked about how he's keeping receipts so for people that are criticizing them right I think uh you're in New York you better have a thicker skin than that Arthur Smith for the Fal- the Falcons coach got pretty heated about like talking about people criticizing how they the same old Falcons and they lost. I will, at least the players and the and the coach weren't sitting there saying you guys are all wrong. You'll see it. Now they did say we're going to improve, but they also made it they 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 acknowledged the, the, the how that game went, which wasn't well. Look, I would say that you have to figure out, you know, what's correctable and what's what's irreparable if you're Cliff Kingsbury, Vance Joseph and company. What comes from being undermanned, for example, the O-line? What comes from having the wrong man on the job if you just don't have the right player in the right spot? Uh, you know, So those are some of the things that you use the film to figure out. And if there are guys playing who aren't ready, you know, I don't know. But yeah, it's to your point, Danny, uh, this schedule is extremely real. And uh, it's and you're going to go up on the road now. The good news is a year ago you went eight and one on the road, because what is going on at home? I have no idea. Six straight home losses, and if there is one common denominator in most of those six straight home losses, I'll tell you what: the energy has definitely been better in the intensity on the sideline on the road than at home for whatever reason. They need to get some sage and 
get out the bad mojo. No, I'm just kidding. You know, but but that offensive line, Paul. You have Sean Harlow who understands this offense, has that versatility. And without trying to sound like I'm minimizing every individual position on the offensive line and how they work as a whole. From what this group went through last year having so many backups playing at the same time to to have to plug in one player on the offensive line Kyler Murray I don't know the number it seemed like he was still under pressure a good amount of time like that to me is not just a Sean Harlow thing I don't know if that's we 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 really don't know the answer of why center Ronnie Hudson didn't really practice throughout training camp don't know We, we just don't know he had that errant snap Two of them. To, to, a couple to, of them. Yeah. Yeah. Just yeah. the he's pressures. Looked, he's looked better. He's played better. The no pressures doubt. and the and the way the offensive line looked to me is not because of having Sean Harlow in, who was technically your third guard, left guard. I guess now second with Cody Ford being on IR for the first four weeks with Justin Pugh being out with that next stinger. That to me, the issues weren't because of your left guard. That was the offensive line as a whole. So, look, I mean. And you knew Steve Spagnuolo was going to bring the blitz. They were going to bring the pressure. Uh, sometimes they didn't need to because Chris Jones was wrecking ball in the middle. What was intriguing was did you see the analytics that Vance Joseph blitz Patrick Mahomes 54% of his pass attempts, which is the highest in Mahomes' career. The typical blitz rate against Mahomes, because defensive coordinators are typically low to blitz Mahomes, was about 24%. And the Cardinals blitzed him 54% of the time. And wait, because it can always get worse, it does, they never got home. Zero sacks. I, I'm, I'd be curious to know how many of those blitzes happened in the first quarter or the on the first drive. Because from what I was watching, I don't think I think they were trying to avoid the blitzing early. And I think he may have turned to it when it was clear that not turning to it was going to really mess you up because I saw so many, so much, so much criticism of Vance Joseph from NFL Twitter analyst people that were like, "How could you blitz Patrick Mahomes? That's crazy! You're you're going to get diced up." But I'm like, they were already getting diced up. I think when they started doing it, I could be wrong, but it sure looked to me like it was a an attempted adjustment because nothing was going to go right otherwise. Yeah, here it is right now. His next-gen stats actually said he got blitzed on over half of his pass attempts. Mahomes, 54% overall, and that was a first in his career. And he threw a career-high four touchdown passes against the blitz in a single game. That's what they calculated. On the other hand, Darren, and I honestly don't know. I'm not watching the film, and I'm not tracking how many times they brought numbers. But I will say that a number of players, including Jalen Thompson and the Big Red Rage, if you read between the lines going into the game, said they could not let Mahomes just stand in the pocket. They had to get to Mahomes. You know, you have to be ultra aggressive. And I think there was a Vance Joseph quote when he met the media saying, "Yeah, we're going to go down swinging. We're going to be ultra well, aggressive." So I, you know, this all goes back to again. This well, goes put it back this way: to- if four touchdown passes were against a blitz, that would indicate that at least they blitzed at times in that first yeah, second quarter. Well, no, that's true. I, you know, I will say this: I don't. I mean, what our, what was one of our concerns? Where is the pass rush going to come from? And Marcus Golden didn't even play 30 snaps in the game, so I guess the toe was a thing because that was, uh, you know, I mean... And or his conditioning. Maybe. I, I don't... 
I, I tend to believe the former. I really do. Yeah. And and I will say this, uh, and props to Marcus for getting that contract that we wondered about. Um, when the most snaps coming from your outside linebackers is from a guy on the practice squad, that's <laughs> a red flag to me. Devon Kennard? Yeah, he had 35 snaps. That's the most of any outside linebacker. I, I did not realize that. Let me let me ask you guys a question about this. Looking at the defense, you know, we've talked about how after week one of the regular season, you can bring in a veteran and then a free agent veteran, and then their um, their salary is not guaranteed. Yes. Knowing, hoping, you know, being told that cornerback Antonio Hamilton dealing with the burns on his legs and feet, Cliff Kingsbury saying earlier in the week that he might be ready for football stuff soon. He's out for at least the first four weeks. But let's think about having Antonio Hamilton back soon. Trayvon Mullen, who didn't play dealing with a toe injury, hopefully back soon. He's not on IR. If you're going to bring in a veteran, are you still looking at cornerback or are you now seeing who's out there that could help you in your pass rush? I'm, th- I'm looking at everything right now, especially the way the defense goes. And, and let me, I just want to clarify something because <laughs> – I've noticed that Cliff has kind of intimated a couple times about Antonio Hamilton. Yeah. And the reality is, is um, if you're if you have to miss four games, if you're talking about coming back, it would it, he would have to go. It would be working on the side all by himself. I mean, I feel like a couple times Cliff's comments make it sound like he could jump back into practice, maybe even come back into games. He is absolutely out the first four games, and he is not eligible to practice with a team right. until that is over. Mm. So. It's just like good. he's on I, IR. I, I was wondering the first time he said that. Yeah, I'm like, wait no. a minute, what? Am I misunderstanding? No. Okay. I, he's got the same rules. So, like, I mean, it's good news if he can come back and do some stuff, like get his conditioning up and stuff like that. But in terms of like dropping him in on the in the in a game or even having him practice, that's not going to happen. So, and look, in terms of the guys that are going to come back at some point, whether it's DeAndre Hopkins or Rondell Moore, J.J. Watt, Antonio Hamilton, Trayvon Mullen, I get it. But if you're asking me my biggest concern right now, thanks for asking, is the fact that they might be missing the most, a guy who will never return, and that's Jordan Hicks. That when Cliff Kingsbury says to the media about Patrick Mahomes, giving him a lot of props and praise, and then adding, but too many times we just made it really easy for him, end quote. And then you look at the communication issues there were on that side of the ball that Nick Vigil talked about, and you know, you just didn't have a sound defense. Forget about whether they were talented or not. If you're not lined up correctly, and as Kyle Vandenbosch said, there were too many times where Kansas City was in motion and, and the Cardinals were still trying to figure out where and how to fit a certain play and the way Kansas City was running it. You have no chance at that point. And the, Nick Vigil said it as much. So is it correctable? Sure. Do you have the personnel capable of correcting it? Do you have two young inside linebackers and or star backer? Are those guys really capable of all of a sudden being that adept at calling a defense? Or is a guy like Nick Vigil have to step in and play more reps just in this for the sake of getting the defense set pre-snap. Well, Vance Joseph said last week it has to be somebody who's out there all the time. And that's still, I mean, you could still do Jalen Thompson or Buda Baker. Except when they're playing center field safety, that makes it real difficult. I don't disagree. I mean, again, you're trying to juggle some things. And, you know, we've had the Hicks conversation before. I yep. mean, there, there are, there's a give and a take. And if they felt like Jordan Hicks... As a player, 
It's it's great to have somebody mentally, but I mean, hell, then just have Vance Joseph come back to the league and play linebacker. He'll be able to get <laughs> yeah. them all lined up real good. He's not going to be yeah. able to stop anybody. Yeah. No offense, Vance. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that was Larry Foote's last year, basically. Well, that's the thing. It's yeah. like... Uh, there's probably a million guys yeah. that can go out and get everybody lined up right, but you got to get somebody who actually can play football after the ball snap too. And I get it. I, I really do. And I understand it. And the future of the two first-round linebackers, I'm just saying the growing pains might be a little more severe and learning on the job might last a little longer than maybe we all anticipated. And while this is, when you look at the numbers, I think the second oldest team in the league it's kind of skewed when you look at some of those veterans that have been in the league for so long because this team is pretty young on the players they're relying on, Paul, especially when you look at that defense, to your point of those two young linebackers and Isaiah Simmons and Zayvon Collins. Christian Matthew, Marco Wilson still only in his second year. I mean, what was is, What was Cliff's joke? He said, well, yeah, it's because our old guys are really old. Yeah. So I it mean, throws it off. You're having to rely on this young depth more so on the defense than the offense, and that's that's a not an easy thing to do. All right, so how about a couple of 25-year-olds, Kyler and Hollywood Brown? What can the Cardinals do to get that connection rolling, get it on track? Now, getting down, you know, 14 nothing right out of the gates obviously would help because it makes it a lot easier for them to play those shell coverages and get away with it like Kansas City did, but you know, I, I think everyone's still anticipating – the Cardinals to get a lot more production out of Kyler to Hollywood, right, Darren? Then, uh, I, then they, they I mean, got. I, I certainly would expect that. I mean, again, going back to what you said earlier, I mean, Greg Dortch, all due respect to Greg Dortch, Greg Dortch can't be your leading receiver. He can't. Not with what you have. The, now, Zach Ertz was limited in his snaps. I do think he'll be more of a, a part of the passing game, but I do think there were times early in the game where – Kyler being under pressure or whatever the situation was, he just didn't have a chance to look at Zach Ertz very much. You got to get Hollywood more involved. Um, you'd like to see AJ Green a little bit more involved. Then again, where are we standing? I, I didn't look at it enough, but like, where's the separation? That was the big thing last year. Was uh, I, I remember seeing stats and the separation of the Cardinals wide receivers was among the worst in the league. Is it has it gotten better? I I don't know. I don't know. And what was interesting is looking at these young players, you bring up Zach Ertz, your top two draft picks were inactive. Tight end Trey McBride. Uh, two of your three. Two of your three, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Were, yeah, because Cam Thomas played, but yeah. Myjay Sanders. Myjay makes sense to me yes. of if you have Marcus Golden back and you're elevating Devon Kennard from the practice squad. That, that doesn't surprise me. Agreed. I was very surprised when the inactives list came out about 90 minutes before kickoff and Trey McBride was on there. So your three tight ends were Zach Ertz, Max Williams, and Steven Anderson for special teams. And then after the game, Kingsbury saying that he just didn't think McBride mentally was there yet. But I, here's here's I'd like to, to make this point because I, I – and I could have tweeted it out. I didn't. Obviously, a lot of people were frustrated with Trey McBride being inactive, and I understand that. And I'm – not saying it's a great thing, but I, I, I want to bring up a couple of things. Number one, Steven Anderson clearly is a guy that they're going to trust on special teams. You look at the special team snaps. Daryl Williams, who didn't play an offensive snap, played 15 special team snaps. Uh, there was 14 for Jonathan Ward, 13 for Eno Benjamin, 13 for Steven Anderson. So hmm. those guys are up for a reason. The Trey McBride thing, context matters. And I know, you know, nobody, I, I think. When the draft happened, 
there were some serious concerns about Max Williams' viability of playing. And it's a good point. You take a tight end because you want to make sure that you're you're you have a third tight end that can be pretty good, and you had him high on your board. Now it turns out Max Williams is available, and with the way things have filtered out, Max Williams can give you enough. It's not like Max Williams. Uh, or Steven Anderson played a bunch of offensive snaps. Max Williams played 10, Steven Anderson played 9, um, and that was even with Zach Ertz being limited. Now, I'm sure part of that was because you got behind your throwing a little bit more, maybe using extra receivers, but um, I, I do think the Trey McBride pick, what, some of the thinking was Max Williams at the time, and even Max Williams next year. I'm not, you know, Max Williams on a one-year deal. I would not be surprised if he's not around in 2023. So some of that, I, I know people get upset, but that's, I think, some of the thinking that changes, again, when you go from April to September and where they are with the injuries and some of the guys that they might have on the field. In big picture, Zach Ertz is going to be 32 in two months. So, you know, just, uh, but yeah, it's a loaded tight end room at the moment, and We'll see. You know, at some point, Trey McBride will will get his role and he'll get his his snaps. But it, it goes beyond that right now. No, on it, offense. it does. You know, it does. it's it's getting that running game in gear. It's getting that. You know, it's it's Eno Benjamin telling the media that they're going to spend even more time the running backs with the offensive line and trying to sync things up in the run game and 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 the run blocking up front. It's keeping Kyler with a clean pocket. We mentioned all those hurries by Kansas City. Three different players with five hurries or more in the game, so it was constant. Now, his escapability and his athleticism, they only brought him down twice. But when you're disrupting the timing of these pass plays and Kyler constantly has his head on a swivel and one time he nearly got taken off by the corner blitz. So you know, these these are all factors that you hope to remedy. I, I, I'd be curious what your guys thought. I, I actually thought Kyler played decently i agree I, th- I thought he played better than average and there was some analytic out there where like he was among the top three or four uh passers in week one in terms of accuracy you know balls that were thrown to the right spot and on uh, the right time so yeah they have a lot bigger problems than kyla murray now has he played better absolutely but uh overall i mean at halftime cliff kingsbury said and i'm loosely quoting kyler's not the problem we need to clean things up around him if you would have told me that this team would have come into the first game of the year and not turn the ball over and lost by 20 plus points i would have been like really you know what else we learned though there's really only one rb2 you know benjamin and daryl williams were both on the depth chart as that sunk at running back and it was all you know benjamin and if I don't know if that was the game plan. I don't know if that's how the game ended up shaking out and how you were using Daryl Williams, but it makes me wonder if if you've got five running backs and if, if this is the plan, Daryl Williams, you know, Benjamin's your number two, Williams is more of that special teams. Do you need Daryl Williams and Jonathan Ward if if the plan would be to really just use that running back on special teams? It's a valid question. There's no doubt. Uh, they're probably holding on to that fifth running back just in case maybe just maybe another team is in, in a dire need of, of a backup running back, perhaps, and you get something in return. I'm sure if somebody made them an offer, a day three draft pick of some sort, yeah, they'd be willing to part with well, one of those running backs. It's going to be fascinating to see. I mean, they got a lot of guys on IR that are going to come back, and it's going to be fascinating because when those guys come back, somebody has to go. And, you know, you're going to have to be probably smart with how that moves around. And as much as they like Keontae Ingram, he was the 19th running back taken in the draft. So 
what, what sort of market is there for Keontae Ingram? Is, is the team immediately going to pounce on Keontae Ingram? That might be a risk they're willing to take to see if they can get him to the practice squad, for example. Maybe. Just looking ahead on that, on that front. Well, once again, getting back to pass protection, uh, what do you expect, Darren, on Chandler Jones? What do you think? What, what, what's, what's coming? Is uh, Hurricane Chandler coming on Sunday? Uh, Haboob Chandler up there in the desert, in the Vegas desert, uh, coming on Sunday? You know, it's that's always an interesting thing because a guy like that, sometimes it backfires when you go all out to get three sacks against your former team. So maybe they can see him as aggressive and use that against him. I, I go back to what you said earlier, which I 100% agree on. Now, Chandler Jones knows DJ Humphreys really well, but Hump knows Chandler Jones really well. And they all know Chandler Jones really well. It reminds me a little bit of Pete Carroll talking about Russell Willis and they were trying to push him to his left because they had all the stats over the years about how much worse yeah. he plays throwing on the move to his left. I mean, I'm sure there's ways you can figure out how to neutralize Chandler Jones. Now, you've got a guy on the other side in Max Crosby that you can't just ignore. And if you put all your eggs in the Chandler Jones basket, what does Max Crosby do? And I think at this point in their careers, Max Crosby is a better player. So it'll be interesting, Danny, to see how he deals with it and how that all filters out. And I think a little more disruptive as a whole than Chandler Jones. Not to say he's not a disruptive player by any means, you know, those big sack numbers, but Crosby is all over the ball, all, all, all over. So the fact that you've got both of them lined up together on opposite sides is not going to be an easy task for Beecham and Hernandez on that right side against Crosby. By the way, the Raiders had no sacks, no takeaways in that loss against the L.A. Chargers in their season opener. They have a new defensive coordinator, Patrick Graham, whereas uh, Khalil Mack and that Chargers front seven, they were dynamic. They had six sacks. They had a couple of strip sacks. They had three interceptions at Derek Carr. I mean, you give Justin Herbert a legit defense and look out. The L.A. Charges. And they still only won by five points. So That's true. They had a chance at the end. Derek Carr and the Raiders had a chance at the very end. So uh, we'll see. But what was interesting was what Josh McDaniels had to say after the game. This easily, to me, could have been Cliff Kingsbury when I read the following quote. Learning how to win is not something you get to carry over from one year to the next. Not as a coach or a team. That's something you have to acquire through work, preparation, and habits. I really believe that. End quote, Josh McDaniels. See, I, I, and we've talked about this before because I heard Dave Pash going on the radio talking about how that first game felt like week 19. But see, I don't, I don't think there's carryover. I just don't. I mean, I think every year is, is a different year. And it's interesting that he brings up the, the learning to win. And, and I think, again, you, the Raiders are going to be desperate, but it, if you have a more desperate team this week in the NFL than the Arizona Cardinals, then the Arizona Cardinals are doing something wrong, in my opinion. And by the way, uh, there wasn't much of a run game established by the Chargers. The, uh, the you know, Max Crosby had those eight run stops, and so yeah, the Raiders' defense lease was stout in, in that regard. So, how about the stadium? Stadium's gonna be pretty cool to check out, especially since they modeled a lot of it after State Farm Stadium yeah. and the Cardinals, right down to the field tray. We were supposed to be there, Paul. That's right. I was up there in February for the uh, Pro Bowl. Oh, that's right. So you yeah, there. yeah, it's that's pretty, right. Yeah. Do tell. No, it's it's beautiful. It's pretty cool. Um, like a lot of natural sunlight. Um, it's it's really beautiful. I will say, being up in the press box, it's interesting. Most press boxes have 
the glass in front of you and it's noise canceling. And this was not the case. The press box is one of those open ones. It's open. And so you lean over and you are within arm's distance of whoever's got that seat right below you. Um, Not complaining, but it, it, you know, you're up, you're up there in the rafter. So it's to, to see the video board and stuff, at least where we were sitting was not necessarily easy, but it is a very beautiful stadium. It'll be exciting to go and have the Cardinals play there. Are there going to be any social media pictures or videos of uh, any of the travel crew up and down the Strip? <laughs> Nashville! Excuse me. Uh, my bad. I think he's talking about you, Darren. Not me. <laughs> I don't think I'm going out this weekend. Same. <laughs> yeah, Same. Me, me neither, Paul. Right, exactly. <laughs> wow, now we got some coach speak here. That's, that's what we got right now. I mean, we got to read through the lines. I mean, It'll be, it'll be a game-time decision if I go <laughs> out right. on the strip on that's Saturday. That's exactly what it'll be. Oh, my goodness. Okay, all right. I don't know. You I know guys... the pack you run with, Danny. They're not going to let yeah, you get Yeah, it's not my fault. It's not my fault. That's right. That's I'm right. peer pressure, peer Paul. Pressure. I'll be honest with you. I don't know. I, I thought I was going to get a little more vitriol out of you guys. You're, you're, you're taking the week one beatdown a, a little better than I thought. Um, you know, obviously, you know, you've both been there and done that and covered this league long enough. You're not, you're not overreacting at all. There's no overreaction Cardinals Underground edition after week one here. There's 16 more games. I was going to say, I, I don't know if the vitriol is going to change the outcome. I, I know all those people were, tweeting at me yeah. on Sundays. Think so. That's what are you hearing yeah, via Twitter? What, what are you hearing? We Darren? don't want to talk about. Uh-huh. That. You don't want to talk. You can't. It's a family podcast. You can't I mean, share. It's, no, Paul. As we sit here in the podcast studio, and they've got some highlights from the Monday night football game with Seattle and Denver. I got to ask: Is are you going to take advantage of probably the only time you can say uh, first place Seahawks? <laughs> that's right. <laughs> True. Yeah, that really does stink. You know, if they would have lost, uh, if they would have actually r- let Russ cook and uh, on fourth and five, then yeah, we could still go with our last place Seahawks from a year ago because well, everybody would be in last place you. and the, or the first Bronco, place. The Broncos got their own hashtag. Let hashtag let Russ kick. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. We'll see about the returns on that. On that. The trade. one time yeah. you want Russell Wilson yeah. to win. Yep. It's. Uh, by the way, how about how about the 49ers? How about? How about the end of last season? Was it the end of last season? It was. It was the off season when I went on uh, 49ers radio KNBR and uh, I was giving them. They were giving us a hard time about something, so I returned fire and I said, "Well, you guys sure given up three first round picks to take Trey Ooh. Lance when you could have had Justin Fields in the where you were sitting in the same draft and the outrage from the from the San Francisco hosts on 49ers talk radio. Oh, that's preposterous. Are you kidding? They're not even in the same class, Trey Lance and Justin Fields. Really? Did you you happen to see what happened on Sunday? And I get it, the rain was such, but uh, yeah. Okay, we'll see. Giving up those three first-round picks. I'm telling you, if you look at the San Andreas Fault, it doesn't directly go through Santa Clara, but in a way it does. I'm going to call it the Jimmy Garoppolo Fault because it's ready to be a big fissure and divide the entire Niners organization and the fan base. And there's a 7.0 trembler coming real quick. As someone who's been in a 7.0, the 1989 Loma Prieta earthquake, I'm here to tell you there's an earthquake coming to the Bay Area. And it's that Jimmy G fault that's just an extension off the San Andreas, like the Hayward fault that ran through Berkeley when we got hit back where, in 89. Where were you when the 89 one? I was in a Safeway. Ask me where I was. 
You were not born yet, Danny. <laughs> Just, you know, it's one thing It's one thing to pose the question. It's another thing to, to rock that I, smug, I like, the I smug right into smile it. on her face I'm when she sorry, says, I asked me where to. I was. Oh, my. I made the mistake of in a, in a text group uh, that I believe you were in, Danny. Yes. Of we were talking about at first it was what everybody had as their current employment on Facebook because Danny might have forgotten to change some things. <laughs> Not oh, the only one. No, you weren't the only one. God, Darren, no. I, you have anyways. to give me a second. You don't get to say anyways, anyways and move on. I didn't even know to show you how like little I use Facebook. Someone had to show me how to go and change your bio because I didn't even know how to change my place of employment you know, and I was not the only employee who I, had a former NFL team true. still on their also Facebook true. profile. Yeah, but so, I'm not buying that. I didn't know. She was the social media director for like 48 hours. She doesn't <laughs> even know how to change things on Facebook. No, I'm not that's not flying. But I I I screen grabbed mine and I said it's it's easy to make sure that you have the right job on yours when you have been in the same job since before you had Facebook, <laughs> which I've right. been around long enough, that's but right. unfortunately, that's it right. also had on there my high school graduation year and, oh. and the rest of this group that was in in the text chain are all i don't know With the exception i think of they craig. just learned how to drive <laughs> so sorry craig yeah. yeah that's uh that's all yeah the, the bio has been updated right okay all right by the My way, apologies. I redefined express lane is what I did. I was in the uh, aisle with all the the, the jarred uh, Italian, like the, the spaghetti sauce and like the salsas, and it came down like Didn't you wouldn't believe. Didn't it scare believe. the crap out of you, though? Oh, it was, oh, it was terrifying. Were the you light, covered in sauce? The lights went out. The lights went out. It was. Uh, it sounded like, um, have you ever, oh my goodness, this is, this is really dangerous. Have you ever seen the movie Dances with Wolves with yes. Kevin Costner and no. the sound of the herding of buffalo? It came before you were born. The herding buffalo and just that sound yeah. it was a cross between herding buffalo and an oncoming train that's what it sounded like when the lights went out you had no idea at first what it was and then i realized because i've been in enough small earthquakes earthquake and i flung the little handy tote and redefined express lane and i was out and as i look back the shelves came down Jesus. all the jarred goods i mean there were women screaming there were kids crying it was uh you yeah crying? it was pretty crazy and then you went back and turned on the tv when i got home and every single station was knocked off the air it was snow except for channel 5 kpix cbs which had a helicopter in the air because it was rush hour traffic 504 yeah. p.m on october 17th and there was the iconic shot of the yeah. bay bridge busted so there you go Okay. That was, nice that was a Pauly postcard. That was a Pauly postcard. Considering no one we just came off of the 9-11 no one needed that. Uh, anniversary, yeah. and that was in my head. Yeah. Now I'm rethinking yeah. of all this stuff, yeah. all this stuff that happened before you were born there, Daniel. Mm-hmm. But, Not so, my demographic. So this, this morphed yeah. into a history lesson is, is what it did. So okay. what happens when you get old, guys. Yeah. All right. We'll see. We'll see. You know, I mean, you can't have another result like what happened in week one. That'll get old real quick. I got, although with earthquakes and terrorist attacks, the, a loss to the Chiefs doesn't seem so bad. You're right. And a more than 1,000-point drop in the stock market today. So, yes, these things happen in threes, and that'll do it for Cardinals Underground, brought to you by Pacific Office Automation.